We're going to be diving into the first four verses of the Apostle John's first letter, so I really encourage you to be opening your Bibles to that place. 1 John chapter 1, 1-4 through four is where we're going to be this morning. Well, in the last week I've gotten a lot of good coaching on how to wear a mask and, and how not to wear a mask. And even some additional masks that the Ledford ladies have been gracious enough to make me. So if I switch midway through the sermon this morning, um, you'll know why. But um, I really appreciate the fact that even though sometimes there's a lot of distracting stuff happening with the speaker of the words, that still so many of you um, are still focusing on the words of God themselves. Um, and so hopefully... Hopefully there's going to be less distraction this morning uh, from me. I'm really going to try to minimize that, but I appreciate the opportunity to concentrate on God this morning with you. So let's read these verses and then let's spend our time talking about them. First John chapter 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So it's interesting how this book in our Bibles is called a letter, but it's really unlike many of the other letters that we read in our New Testaments because you'll notice that there's no introduction John doesn't begin by saying, Hi, I'm the Apostle John, and I'm writing to you guys. He also doesn't start with any kind of a greeting. There's no uh, Thanksgiving section in which he says, uh, you know, I'm praising God for all of these things that God is doing. There's none of that. All there is is John getting straight into his point about Jesus. He hits the ground running very much like he does in his gospel when you read that. Because he's in a hurry to talk about Jesus. And specifically in verse 4, he's in a hurry to tell us that Jesus is the person who completes our joy. So that's, that's really what this whole sermon is about. That's what these first four verses are about. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin by talking about what is John telling us about this person that he feels so strongly about? And then we're going to talk about uh, why, we, why it is that we should listen to the Apostle John as he talks to us about Jesus. And then we're going to look at why is Jesus writing, why is John writing about Jesus. So first of all, what, what, what is he talking about here, about this person? Notice verse 1, as he starts out, he says, This person was from the beginning. The way that John starts this letter is just fascinating to me because what he's doing is he's taking from two other books of the Bible 
uh, one of them, which he wrote, inspired by the Spirit, and the other one from Genesis. You look at the very first words of your Bibles, and it's going to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you look at, first, you look at John's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 1. He's going to say, in the beginning was the Word, which he's going to go on to talk about here, too. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so this is the first words of his first letter as well. I think what what John is doing is he's establishing both the credibility and the ability of Jesus to change us into an image more like himself. You know, whenever you're thinking about renovating your house... Or if you're just thinking about getting advice from somebody about how you should better live your life, who are you going to go to? Uh, which renovator are you going to choose when you get quotes from different people? Well, usually you're going to probably choose the one, not just that gives you the best price, but the person who says, you know, I've been in this business for 40 years or whatever, as opposed to the guy who just says, yeah, I just started last week. You're probably not going to choose him to knock out your windows and give you new ones. And in the same way, who are we going to trust to renovate our hearts and our souls and our minds? Who's going to do that for us and recreate us? We've got to trust somebody who's been doing this from day one and who's had a plan to recreate what he created and, 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 and what he did was anticipate how it would go wrong and then send his own son to fix it. That's the person that we should give ourselves to. Nobody can make this claim like Jesus can to to recreate us. So he was from the beginning. And not only that, just like in his gospel, the apostle talks about how he is the word. How can a person be a word? Think about what what words are. I mean, we use words, but we are not words. Words are spoken or written symbols that we attach shared meanings to so that we can communicate with each other. So often, I just wish that we had like a little slot in our minds where we could take a thumb drive, just stick it right in there, and download everything we want to say and just put it into another person's head. But we can't do that, unfortunately. So the only way we know how to take my thoughts or your thoughts and put them into my head is we speak words or we write words to each other. And it's it's so neat to look at the whole course of time in the way that God has set up the world and see how he has sent so many people, so many prophets to speak words about justice and love and righteousness to his people to try to communicate to them, okay, this is what's in my head and my heart that I want to put into your soul. And then finally, he sent a very special person. He sent himself to communicate his words to us. But not only that, not only did Jesus talk about the same kinds of things that his prophets talked about in the Old Testament, But then he went to the cross and he became the embodiment of all of those things that that everybody had said throughout time when he sent them to his people. 
He has become our shared meaning of what it means to love other people, of what it means to do righteousness and justice and walk humbly with your God. He has truly become our word, the word, the way that we can communicate with each other, the way that he communicates with us. It all revolves around Jesus. And not only that, he says that this word is life. He says that in in 1 and 2. This word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testify and proclaim it, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So both of those ideas that he's getting at, that Jesus' word of life, his eternal life, it's now here with us. What that's getting at is the idea that God has shared Himself with us. You know, it's a powerful thought to me to think about the, the fact that there was a point in time in which nothing else existed except for God. And, and so what God did was He created plant life and animal life and, and even more importantly, human life angel life, every kind of life that there is, so that he could have an opportunity to share his goodness with things and people outside of himself. And that's what he created us to do. We are supposed to be little mini-gods, imitators of the, the, the creator, so that we can share goodness outside of ourselves. But what do we all do with that purpose? From Adam and Eve on, we've all shared death and destruction and sin. But Jesus came and shared his life with us in a very literal kind of way um, so that we can share our lives with others through him. And so the closer that we get to this person who's done all these things, the more alive we become. Because He is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. By the way, that's in John's Gospel too. It's all about Jesus. So those are the three things that I see Him most concentrating on. But I think we also need to ask this question. Why is it that we should listen to this guy who's in such a hurry to talk about this word, who is the life, who is from the beginning. Why should we listen to John? Well, it's interesting how John kind of gets at this question as we begin his letter. And I think he makes a strong case that in verses 1 and 3, that Jesus made himself very available to John the Apostle, as well as the other apostles, and really anybody else who wanted to talk to Jesus and be with him. Uh, Because you notice what it says. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning this word. And then verse 3, again, which we have seen, which we heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. You know what John is not saying? Is, you know, there's this one time where my cousins, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandfather talked to me about this person. And from this very distant conversation, 
You know, this distant chain of connection, now I'm talking to you about this guy. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying, you know, a friend of a friend met him on the road one day and had this really great conversation. He's not even saying, you know, there was this one time where I was in the back of the room while he was preaching in my town. Now, what he's, what he's saying is, with all these action words that he uses, is that we had this intimate relationship and connection with him, and that qualifies me to talk to you about who he is. Now, he's, John is really bold in his tone because he knows what he's talking about and who he's talking about. Because Jesus didn't come and hide himself away in a Galilean cave somewhere like he could have. He didn't become a hermit. He didn't become a monk. If you want to talk to Jesus, you don't have to climb up a mountain into some crevice somewhere like you had to do with some people in the Middle Ages. He was was walking around towns. He was was attracting crowds of people. He was going up and, and saying, hey, come sit with me and let me talk to you about the message that I am preaching here. And Jesus, Jesus made himself available even when he was tired, like he did in John chapter 4 with the woman in the, at the well in Samaria. He made himself available in situations when he was angry and upset, like in Mark 3, when he healed the man who was paralyzed and, and, and it left him angry and grieved with all these people around him who didn't understand and want to know why he did that. Even when his availability led to his own death, on a Roman cross. Jesus put himself out there and he allowed crowds of people to to see him and to be with him and especially his own apostles. Alright, we're going to take a mask break here. So what John wants to do is he wants to present himself a bold witness because of the fact that he was with him constantly. He ate so many meals with him. He talked with him on so many evenings around campfires. He, he had so much access. And the application that we want to draw to our own lives is, do other people have access to us? Are we accessible like Jesus was? Especially to our fellow Christians. And the reason why I'm, I'm taking this point here is this, is this is meant to encourage us, but this is also meant to really challenge our souls and our lives. And, and you might be thinking about that question and answering in your own mind, well, yeah, of course I'm accessible, right? I mean, I got my, all my information's in the directory. If you, want, if you want to know where I live, you look up my address right there under my name, and it's got my email, it's got my phone number. I'm accessible. Well, yeah, your information's there, and mine is too, but do people really understand that you would welcome the contact? That you would want people to phone you up and say, hey, how you doing? Let's go to Coffee at Duncan's today. In these months that we've been apart, Have you been checking up on your fellow Christians, especially the more vulnerable ones in our congregation, seeing what you can do to help them? Or have you used this time to basically hunker down by yourself or with your own family unit and not really do much initiating or reaching out to the other people around you 
in our congregation or in the community who could use some help. This is what Jesus did. This is the Master that we serve. This is why John could say, we saw Him, we touched Him, we were with Him. Even before the virus hit us, we lived in a culture that is very much of a please leave me alone, thank you very much kind of world. At least our Western American culture is. And I think this virus has made it worse because for months and months now, our leaders have, with good reason, they've been telling us, you need to isolate yourselves even more than you already do for the sake of your physical bodies and the sake of other people's physical bodies. And that certainly, I think, has helped the virus tamp down and... um, but that has not been good for our souls. It has not been good for our relationships with each other in Christ. And so Jesus wants us to open up our schedules and our lives as much as we possibly can. And granted, that's requiring some creativity right now. But He wants us to do those things so that we can be like Him in being seen and heard and touched. He did that with John. All of his messengers in training when they were going to take this message out to the world. He didn't say, you know, John, I want you to follow me so that we can come together and have these monthly seminars. And then once in a while, I'll you know send you an email. <laughs> he said, follow me and go with me everywhere I go. And be in the room when I'm healing people, when I'm talking to people, when I'm preaching, be with me always. And I recognize that we have schedules and we have lives and all that. But this point ought to hit us. Because I think we all have room to grow in this area. The life was made manifest. Are our lives manifest to each other? To the world? Something else that John points out here, and I think we get this from verse 2. We should listen to John the Apostle because he really understood the full meaning of what Jesus did, what Jesus was all about. Notice verse 2 again. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and proclaimed to you, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I'm sorry, I'm looking at verse, I mean verse 1. Which we have heard, notice the middle part of verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched concerning this word. Notice that the middle part of verse 1, in the ESV translation, I think it's going to be different depending on the Bible you're using, But the way it's translated in my Bible is we have looked upon. Why would he say that right after he had just said we've seen him with our eyes? Doesn't that sound a little bit repetitive or redundant to you? Why would he do why would he say both of those two things? Well this this I I believe is is saying more than just we, we perceived him with our senses. What he's saying with this second phrase, we have looked upon the Greek in that verse can carry the idea of seeing something beyond what can be perceived with the eyes. 
In other words, understanding the meaning behind something that you're noticing and something that's happening around you. And so you, you can go to any number of historical sources and read about Jesus of Nazareth. You, know, you can go to this guy named Josephus, who was a Jew, who's not a Christian, but he wrote about things that happened in the first century. You can read about um, what the writings of this guy named Suetonius, Roman historian, or Tacitus. They all mention Jesus' existence, or at least the movement that he started, but none of those guys can actually talk about the true meaning or the significance behind what Jesus did. They can't tell you about that. They might be able to tell you that he went to a cross and that Pilate killed him. In fact, if you went, if you went to any Jew in first century Palestine, even the guy on the street, he, he'd be able to say, yeah, that, boy, that Jesus of Nazareth, he, he died in this horrific kind of way. But John tells us I can actually tell you why he went to the cross. I can tell you the meaning behind this. And so the application that we need to to think about with ourselves is, are we more like a John? Or are we more like a Josephus? Or a Tacitus? Or a Suetonius? Who can maybe verbalize some facts and tell you, yeah, this is what happened. Here's the death. Here's the burial. Here's the resurrection of Jesus. I think any one of us in this room could rattle off those facts and maybe even quote specific scriptures to back that up. But can we actually explain the meaning of what that does in our hearts and our lives? I want to show you what I'm talking about. Go to chapter 4 of First John. We'll read a couple of verses later on in the book where he says, you know, Jesus went to the cross. And then he says, and here's why that matters to us. Here's what that does. Chapter 4, look here in verses 10 and 11. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, too. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Do you see what John's doing? Here's what Jesus did. Now here's what we should be doing for each other in light of that sacrifice, in light of those historical facts that we can all read about in the Gospels. Here's the meaning. He loves you. That means you need to spend time loving each other. Regardless of whether they're treating you kindly or not, because that's what he did. So John's going to tell us of this amazing, never giving up type of love. And he expects us to put that into our own lives as well. So we need to understand not just the facts of what Jesus did, but actually what they mean. Um, and the, the third thing that I want to point out here, and this is especially coming from verse 3, when he's talking about this fellowship, um, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. John wants to explain and encourage us to have this idea um, deep within our hearts. You know, I, I think the word fellowship 
is, is a word that's kind of lost its meaning uh, that, that the Bible is giving it here. Because if you think about the way that sometimes people use this word, sometimes we'll say, maybe, you know, I want to go to McDonald's with you, uh, or a better restaurant, and, and have some fellowship. We'll have some fellowship going out and doing that. But actually, in the Bible, this word fellowship is never used to talk about sharing a common meal. It is talking about sharing together, participating together, but it's, it's the idea that we're all working together for a common goal, a common cause, um, hand in hand, side by side. We're doing something together uh, that has very powerful significance and meaning to it. And actually, it's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians when he says that, uh, when he went down to Jerusalem and he met the apostles, they extended the right hand of fellowship to him and Barnabas to preach the same message that was being preached there in Jerusalem. Excuse me. So that's, that's what he's talking about here, is when he says... You know, we want to have fellowship with each other here. Notice that in verse 3. We're writing these things, so you can have this with us. But he doesn't put the cart in front of the horse, because the last part of verse 3 is the weighty area where he says, you know what, all of our fellowship is with Jesus, is with God. And so if we are all building a relationship with, with this person, Jesus, then we are automatically going to be building more relationships with each other. Because that's the, that's the most important part of this. So why should we listen to John? Because of these reasons, but also we need to talk about verse 4. Why is John writing about Jesus? Well, he says very clearly here, so that our joy can be complete. You know, we talked about last week, now, there are many moments in this letter where John will say, this is why I'm talking about these things. This is why I'm writing this letter. But this is the first of those moments here in verse 4. So, uh, and again, what joy is he talking about? Is he talking about the joy of the people sending the letter or the joy of the people receiving this letter? I don't know exactly. I think he might be talking about both because that's kind of how Second John ends in verse 12. But I just can't think of a better way to summarize everything he's talking about in these first four verses. Because uh, you think about what this means for us. This, we live in a time in which so many people are having trouble right now finding joy. Because when you look at our culture and you keep lifting up rocks, you keep finding nasty things underneath it. When we talk about the injustice that has been kind of embedded in our culture um, from basically day one, extending to today. And, and when I think about what's going on right now with George Floyd and others like him, and everything that that represents, I think about what the Ecclesiastes writer said when he said, For much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In, in some ways, the more you learn about the world and the way that the world is working, the more disappointed you become in what's happening around you. But notice the contrast here. The more you learn about Jesus, the deeper you go into Him, the further you deepen that relationship, 
with what He can provide you, the more joy you found, not the more sorrow, as you do when you flip open your news app and you scroll through the stories and you see lots of things that disappoint you and anger you, make you upset. Our joy is completed when we go to Jesus. When we understand the power of what He has done. So it's at the foot of the cross that you'll find somebody who truly forgives and truly loves other people. Somebody who submitted to being crushed in mind and in body so that we could experience healing that we could not find any other way. And that's what brings us to the Lord's Supper because that's the significance of what we're going to be doing now. We take bread and we take grape juice and we remember His body and His blood. We are going to our joy. We are being reminded that we are completed in this sacrifice and only in this sacrifice. appreciate your attention. Let's protect now.